We ask that the Holy Spirit would move across our heartstrings as we humble ourselves, trusting that we shall hear beyond the words of the preacher, the Word of God. Lord, encourage those who are defeated and discouraged. Bring strength to the weak. Bring healing to the sick. We pray that those who are here without God, never having trusted the Lord Christ as Savior, that this will be a day of commitment and decision as the Holy Spirit draws that one to Jesus. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. I'm going to be using several passages from the book of Genesis. And I hope you'll keep your Bibles open there. Just one place in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 11, verse 22. You recognize immediately that Hebrews is the faith chapter. There are 18 illustrations of faith given in this marvelous chapter. Uh, we read again and again, by faith Abel, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob. And then when we come to verse 22, by faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Last Sunday, we brought a message called A Coffin in Egypt. A Coffin in Egypt. Somebody told me later that day, uh, someone said, what, they were remarking about the subject, a coffin in Egypt. Somebody said, well, you never did mention anything more about the coffin. Well, I, uh, I'm sorry I didn't make that clear. The coffin in Egypt remained as a hope for the people of God for 400 years. 400 years. And that was the theme of the message last Sunday. A hope for the generations to come. A ray of hope in a dark night. We honored all of those who are our senior Christian citizens last Sunday. We recognized those who were 59 years of age and above. We called them our experience and our wisdom because they've been through it. Those are they who were born in 1924 or before. These led us through some very turbulent days in this nation's history. Some of those were present during World War I. All of them helped us through the dark days of the Depression, the Great Depression. All of them were involved in the nation's life during World War II and the Korean War and the Vietnam War and all the other problems that this nation has faced. And so we honored them as our Christian friends whom we just call experience and wisdom. And the theme of the message was 
can your life, do you want your life to be a ray of hope in a dark world? So that when you are put in a coffin, if the Lord tarries, and people go out to stand by your grave, will they remember you as somebody who stood for something? Somebody who was a man or a woman of faith. And as your name came, comes up at the table, or a, in a, as a conversation piece, or your relatives look back and remember that you were their grandmother or grandfather, or you were part of their lineage, or you were part of their family circle, or you were somebody that made an influence on time, will they be able to say, because that person lived, my faith is stronger? Now that was true with Joseph. And for 400 years, Joseph's coffin remained in Egypt not buried, not forgotten. The grass and weeds and trees didn't grow up around it. For all those years, it remained as a monument of hope that one day God would visit Egypt. He would visit Israel in bondage in Egypt and lead the people of God free. And the scripture tells us that when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, they took that coffin. And years later, after Moses had died and God had buried him, and Joshua was raised to be the new commander-in-chief, he stood on the banks of the Jordan River before they went into Canaan, and he commanded that that coffin that had been brought from Egypt be taken across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, just as Joseph had prophesied. And so that ray of hope was fulfilled. Now today, I want to speak on the same man, but from a little bit different angle. Why God used Jacob's son, Joseph. Why God used Jacob's son, Joseph. Not everybody will be used but everybody can be used by God. God doesn't say, well, I'll use this person, but I won't use somebody else. There's a strange doctrine of hyper-Calvinism that says God elects some to salvation, but he elects others to damnation. Now, beloved, you don't find that in the Scripture. You find God's election, God's sovereign grace taught. You, you find all about that. But the focus is constantly on God's election for righteousness. God's election for salvation. You don't find where God elects people to go to hell. You can't find a proof text on that that says God destined some people to be lost forever. It is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so there is a, this is one of the great mysteries of our faith. We can't quite comprehend it. We can't quite grapple with it. And I've seen ministerial students stay up all night long arguing over this doctrine. 
and uh, they lose their compassion. They lose their desire to see souls saved. They lose all, the, all that getting caught up in a theoretical, theological discussion. Now I want to present to you this truth. God can use anybody who is willing to become God's somebody. God will use you, whoever you are, those who are graduating from high school this year, those who are graduating from Western University or any other college, or those who have never been to college, those who didn't even finish high school. God can use you if, if, but you'll have to pay the price. And that's what I want to talk to you about. R.A. Torrey wrote a little book called Why God Used D.L. Moody. He mentioned a number of things. He mentioned that Moody was a man of compassion. He was a man free from the love of money. He was a man who was a serious student of Scripture. He was a man free from pride. He was a man endued with the power of the Holy Spirit. And on and on he went. Those are descriptive terms that tell us why God was able to use that man who had less than a seventh grade education. That man who, when he was saved, when he was 17 years old, and he went to that church, and the, the smug deacons had a plan that you had to give an acceptable testimony before they would receive you. And they said, now, what, is, what does Jesus mean to you, Dwight? He was 17, just gotten saved. Well, he uh, sort of bit his fingernails and chewed his, just scratched his head. He said, well, uh, 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 he said, uh, everything in general and nothing in particular. That was his testimony. And they said, uh, we're sorry, Dwight, we can't baptize you. You can't become a member of this church because your testimony isn't strong enough. But that's the man that went out to win a million people to Jesus. But he was a man who was willing to pay the price. A few years later, we find him in Chicago, 19 years of age, a crack salesman in the shoe market. And he wanted to make a million dollars. And God put on his heart a million souls. And he resigned his work and went into the soul winning business. And before he died in 1899, he had personally won a million men to Jesus. God can use anybody. He can use you, whoever you are. You might come from a background of trouble. You might come from a background of problems. You might have come to the age where you are right now and you think, well, God could never use me because I've made so many mistakes and I've made so many failures and I've just messed things all up. God can use you. He's demonstrated that again and again in Scripture. And so I want to give you this morning seven reasons why God used Joseph. Joseph, most unlikely man. And the first reason I want to give you is that he was a son of promise. Look in Genesis chapter 30, verses 22 through 24. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb and she conceived and bore a son and said God hath taken away my reproach and she called his name Joseph and said the Lord shall add to me another son 
Now just reading that in context, or just lifting it out of context, you hardly get the picture. Joseph was a son of promise. Remember that Jacob loved Rachel. He served seven years for her, and then was given Leah. And Laban said, you have to serve seven more years if you want Rachel. And so he served 14 years, and the scripture says those years seemed as nothing because of the great love he had for that girl. He loved Rachel. And Jacob ended up with two wives. And uh, I guess one wife's hard enough. He had two wives. And here, I want you to notice, Jacob and Leah had four children, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And uh, Rachel didn't have any children. And she got very, very upset. And like her, uh, one of her great ancestors, Sarah, she became a little bit hasty. And she said, now, uh, uh, here's what you need to do. Uh, said, Jacob, uh, I have a handmaid named Billa. Uh, you take her, and uh, whatever children she has, they'll be mine. And so Jacob and Billah had two sons, Dan and Nephtali. Well, Leah got a little bit upset because she wasn't having any children now. And so she came back and uh, got upset with Jacob and said, you give me some sons. You see, the problem with trying to give yourself to two women, God made, God's plan was one man for one woman for life. That's God's plan. There's some people that miss that plan. There's some people that, that mess that plan up. And God can pick up broken pieces and put them together again. But God's original basic plan is one man for one woman for life. But we see again and again in the scripture how God steps in when somebody comes and says, Lord, I've just fumbled the ball, messed up. I need your help. And Jacob and Leah had two more children by Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad and Asher. And then Jacob and Leah had two more children, Ishakar and Zebulun. You've got his children, her children, their children. Really a confusing thing. Now, I'm not making fun because there are people in this very auditorium and within the sound of my voice today who have had that same problem. And if you know me on a personal basis, I don't make fun of you. I love you. But I wouldn't be true to God's word if I didn't declare the whole counsel of God, would I? That's what God says. Now, God's plan is one woman and one man for life. That's God's plan. You think hard and fast before you go through some kind of a divorce. Well, Jacob and still loved Rachel. And Rachel was, uh, she was just really upset. And she said, now, now, Jacob, you give me a son. You give me a son. Jacob said, do you think I'm God? How can I give you a son? But they prayed. And Jacob and Rachel had a son. His name was Joseph. He was a son of promise. He was the first son Rachel had. Jacob loved Rachel with all of his heart. And if you read between the lines in the scripture, you have to understand that Jacob 
probably loved Rachel more than he loved any of those other people. Therefore, when Rachel gave him that son, Joseph, he loved Joseph. Now, Joseph was a son of promise. That's one reason God was able to use him. But now, now hold it. Watch this. The real reason God was able to use him because he was a son of promise is because Joseph was able to overcome his home background. You're talking about fighting and scraping and upset and people mad at each other and jealous over one another and two women that were jealous of each other and the sons and, and brothers that fought with each other. All that went on. You've got that in your home? You think, well, I can never amount to anything. I just come from a home where there's cheating and lying and scraping and, and uh, people have been dishonest and my mom and dad got a divorce and we've had all kinds of problems. I can't do anything. That's not true. God used Joseph because he was able to overcome the problems of his home. And young people, we have never had a time in all the history of America when we have more home problems than we have today. Never. And I'm not judging. I'm not speaking in judgmentalism on any parents. You understand that. Some of you may get, get upset with what I'm saying today. That's fine. Thank you anyway. But I'm speaking primarily to people that God wants to use. And I'm saying to you, do not live under the circumstances. Do not say, well, my dad deserted me, therefore I can't do anything. Or my mom went off with some other man, and therefore I can't do anything. That's not true. God can use anybody who is willing to pay the price to be God somebody if you are willing to pay the price. And Joseph overcame his home background. Are you willing today? Are you willing to do that? Can you? Will you? I dare you to do it. I dare you to be done with living under the circumstances and deciding that you have to live a low life because others that you have watched lived low lives. You can tower like God wants you to tower. If you'll be a Joseph, I dare you to do it. Secondly, turn over in your Bible to Genesis 37. Genesis chapter 37. God was able to use Joseph because he was a man who dreamed dreams. Genesis 37, 5, and Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told it to his brethren, they hated him yet the more. He said, Here, I pray you, this dream which I have redreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed another dream. And he told to his brothers, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance, obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and my father, my mother, shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him. But his father observed the saying. Joseph was a man of dreams. Now, Joseph is one of the few men in the Bible about which, about whom there is leveled no criticism. 
There were two men in the Old Testament more like Jesus than any others, and they were Joseph and Daniel. There's not one word of criticism leveled at either one in the Scripture. There have been, been many Bible commentators and Bible students who have come along and said, well, look, Joseph was just a braggart, and he was telling all of his dreams. I don't think that. I think Joseph was a sincere young man, and he, in the, in, in, in the novel of this unusual dream, what do you do with dreams? When you have a dream that makes a striking impression on you, do you tell it? Or do you just bottle it all up and never mention it? Most of us forget our dreams. We may remember them a few moments after we wake up, and then we forget all about them if you don't write them down. Joseph remembered this. It made a striking impression on his heart. Have you ever dreamed a dream like that? Now, I'm not talking about just dreaming dreams when you're asleep at night. Joseph also had his vision sighted heavenward, and he was in touch with God. And the dreams that came to his heart were dreams of the future. Have you ever dreamed dreams of the future? Young men, young women, God can use you if you'll dream dreams. If all you do is just get caught up in the play world, you get caught up in the academic world, you get caught up in the TV world, you get caught up in the entertainment world, and you rush from one thing to another, and you're so busy you never have time to dream dreams. You may have a tough time letting God use you. If you want God to use you, get alone with Him sometime and dream some dreams. Through history, God has often called men who grew up on a farm, out in the country, out in the sticks, way out in the woods. And He's dealt with their heart. And in those early formative years, instead of being fed on all the modern Hollywood movies and all the trashy literature and all the television things, they looked at the sun and the moon and the stars. They saw the animals out there, and they worked hard. And when they had a day off, they went over by the lake or by the river or by the water hole and just sat down and dreamed. Have you had time to do that? Joseph dreamed dreams. He was a kind of young man God could use later because he had some quiet time and allowed God to speak to his heart. He was a man of dreams. There's a third reason God used him. Look in chapter 39, verses 1 to 3. Just, just verse 3, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Joseph had a vital relationship to God. He knew the Lord. Joseph had a vital contact with God. He had, had come to a time in life where he made his spiritual commitment to the Lord God. Have you done that? Beautiful experience earlier this morning as we saw Tommy follow Jesus in believer's baptism. He was one to Christ in his father's home just a few days ago. And then he came to follow Jesus in baptism today. Young boy. He made a commitment that anchored him to the rock, which is Christ. Have you done that? Has there been a time in your life when you have personally received Christ as your Savior? You've let him come into your heart. You said, God, I want you. I need you. I know that Jesus died on the cross for me, and I here and now receive him as my Savior. Joseph had a vital relationship to God. But look in verses 6 
Beginning in verse 6, Joseph was not lazy nor slothful. Listen to this. Beginning in verse 4, and Joseph found grace in, in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his, all his house, and, he, and, he, and all that he had he put under his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not anything that he had save the food which he did eat. And Joseph was a handsome person and well-favored. Joseph was not lazy or slothful. One of the tragedies today is laziness. Honorary laziness. You hire somebody for eight hours and they take an hour break in the morning and an hour break in the afternoon and take two hours for lunch. If you're hired for eight hours, give God, give, give your employer eight hours. And don't be a time watcher. Give them a little bit more than eight hours. I, I go to these places sometimes where everybody gets off at three or they get off at five and here they all lined up at the punch clock. We're hardly waiting to get in there. Give God a little, give your employer a little bit extra time. Do a little bit more than is required. Young people, uh, do that in your early life. Somebody says, I'll give you $20 to cut my grass, do it for 15. Boy, that's different, isn't it? Somebody hires you for eight hours, give them about eight hours and 15 minutes or 20. And when you get through, say, can I do anything else for you? Now, that's really different. Unions won't like that, will they? But I want to guarantee you, it's that extra thing that makes you valuable. And the reason Joseph was used by God is because he learned not to be lazy or slothful in his work. There's another reason. In chapter 39, verses 7 to 12, he knew how to withstand temptation. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me, and you know the rest of this story. That unscrupulous, wicked woman lusted after young, handsome Joseph. That's really a reverse thing. It sounds like it's something you'd read in the 20th century, isn't it? And she lusted after him and wanted him and set every trap imaginable to get him. 17, 18, 19-year-old young man, all kinds of temptation available. And Joseph said, no, no, I'm God's servant. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And he said no to temptation. And young people, you're going to be faced with every temptation in the book. Your parents are going to trust you. They'll not be at home. You have free course to your home. You can invite your girlfriend over to your home or your boyfriend over to your home, and nobody will ever know, but God knows. You can go out in a car at night on a date and park on Lover's Lane somewhere, and nobody will ever know, but God knows. And Joseph faced all those temptations, and he said, No, 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 I'm God's property. That's the reason God could use Joseph. There's something else. Look in chapter 45, verses 1 to 8. 
in chapter 45, verses 1 to 8, and Joseph could not control himself because before all them who stood by, and he cried, cause every man to go out from me, and there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brothers. You know about it. Joseph had been sold into slavery. He was down in Egypt. Years had gone by, and now he is the prime minister of the land. He has changed. He is a mature man. His brothers remember him as a young boy. They don't know what he looks like anymore. They haven't seen him for years. Joseph remembers them because they were all older than he. And here they come down wanting some corn, wanting something to eat. And Joseph is their prime minister. The dream has come true now. And they are bowing before Joseph. And when Joseph sees it, and they don't know him, and he knows them, the Scripture says he could not control it any longer, and he wept before them, and he said, I'm Joseph, I'm your brother, I'm your brother. What am I trying to say? He became his brother's keeper. He became his brother's keeper. He was concerned with compassion about others. Oh, may God deliver us from this self-centered selfishness that's so much part of us today. Joseph was his brother's keeper. In the long ago, Cain said to God, when God said, where is your brother? Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? And down through the ages, there has echoed again and again and again, yes, yes, you are your brother's keeper. It matters whether your next door neighbor goes to heaven or not. It matters whether those students you graduate from high school with, whether they know whether you're saved or a Christian or on your way to heaven or not. It matters what you do with your life in, as it relates to other people. That matters. And God was able to use Joseph because he became his brother's keeper and he had compassion and love that reached out to them. Oh, I think it was D.L. Moody who used to say, we could win the world to Christ in 24 hours if we could really convince them that we loved them and God loved them. So many times, even in our soul winning, even in our churches, even as we sing, even in our choir music, even in our Sunday school work, somehow we are not able to demonstrate that we love others, that we reach out, and that's a great burden to me. In our anchored Christian school, it's my prayer that God will so put a heart of love in the hearts of teachers that even though we must discipline, there will be students know that that discipline is administered in love. That there will be a reach out of love. We are a brother's keeper. Mom and dad, you're the keeper of your son or daughter. You must administer judgment. You must administer uh, discipline but always let it be in love, remedial, to draw them to you. Never to push them away, but to draw them to you. The church, the church sometimes must administer discipline, but it's always to draw them closer to Jesus, never to push them and stomp on them, and push them down further when they're down, but to lift them closer to Calvary and to God. Years ago, John Wesley was part of a holy society when he was in college. It was called the Holy Club. They wouldn't let anybody in it that wasn't holy. On his way back from Georgia where he had ministered to some people in the nation, in the land here in America, in Georgia, the state of Georgia, he was on his way back with some Moravians on board. 
And the Moravians reached out to him in love. He later said, I had never experienced anything like that. He said, I knew the legalism of holiness. But I'd never felt God's tug of love. Oh, I believe in righteousness. I believe in holiness. Without holiness, no man shall see God. But for God's sake, let's administer that in love, in compassion. That's what Joseph did. That's reason God could use him. Last of all, my time is up and I could preach an hour on every one of these points. The last reason God could use Joseph is because he remained, even after his death, a ray of hope. He pointed to Jesus. He pointed to something better. In the last chapter of Genesis, those last verses, and Joseph, verse 24, Joseph said to his brethren, I die. God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which he swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And that coffin in Egypt was a constant ray of hope. Every time they walked by it, they said, uh, you remember that man? You remember that? I believe that his father was Jacob. His mother was Rachel. He had 11 brothers. He came to, he was the prime minister of Egypt at one time. You, you remember that man? Oh, listen, he had a vital faith in God. And he said, he said, he said, one day God is going to come and visit here. And he's going to take us all and deliver us out of this bondage. And he said that we're to take his bones when that happens. And he pointed down the corridor of the years to a time when God, through the nation of Israel, would bless all the nations of the earth through the birth of the Son of God, Jesus. And so Joseph was a preacher of righteousness even in his death. And that's the challenge I want to give to you today. If you want God to use you, if you want to be somebody God can use, so order your life that when they walk by your casket, whether it's in a church or a funeral home or out in the cemetery or 20 years after you die or 50 years after you die, they'll walk by and say, thank you, Lord, for what he meant. Years ago, I went to Northfield. I went in and drove all over that place in Northfield, Massachusetts, and I, I asked I had heard that D.L. Moody was buried there. I had read it in his biography. I said, where is Moody buried? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I found out where he was buried on a little knoll, on a little round top. And uh, there was a chain around two little grave markers. I went up and my mother was with me. And we went up and stood by those graves. I took the shoes from my feet. I felt like I was standing on holy ground. We knelt there and I asked mother to pray for her son, that God would anoint me with his spirit, with the spirit of God. And I said to God, here is buried a man. He's with the Lord. He's not even there, but standing here at this memorial, he reminds me that God can use a nobody who will give himself to the Lord. Lord, do it again. 
And God can do it again, and he can do it in your life if you'll let him. May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the life of Joseph. I suppose he's been gone maybe 4,000 years, I don't know. But we still read about him, we still remember him. And that coffin in Egypt reminds us of a ray of hope. We thank you that he was a man that God could use. And Lord, we pray for the graduates of high school this year and college, that there will be men and women who will say, Lord, use me. Use me in whatever field you call me into. I'll be faithful to you. I'll be the kind of young man, young woman you can use. I'll pay the price. Bless their parents. Bless everyone else who has heard this service today. And we pray that just now someone will open his heart to Christ Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. May we stand, please. <clears throat> I'd like to request that we not move around or leave. The service will be closed in just a few moments, but this is the invitation hour, the purpose for which we have met in proclaiming the gospel, to draw the net, to draw people, to urge people to come and announce their faith in Christ. Now remember that you cannot be saved. Listen to this carefully. You cannot be saved by trying to copy those seven points and say, well, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this, and therefore I can go to heaven. No. You've left out a vital link if you think that. The vital link is that Joseph had a relationship to God through Christ. And that's essential. Everything else has to be built on that. And if you have not established a firm personal faith in Jesus Christ, trusting Him as your Savior, then you're not going to heaven. You're not on your way to heaven. I urge you to do it today. God help you to do it today. You say, how do I do that? By personally repenting from sin and putting your faith in Christ. Do it now. If you've already been saved, come and confess Christ openly. Take an open stand for Him. Do what the Holy Spirit has touched your heart to do. While we begin to sing, who will step out first for the King? Will you come quickly? God bless you.